Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. It is the 22nd of June. July. <laughs> My God, I'm losing months now. Not just not just days. Oh, yeah. It's the 22nd of July, 2021. I'm sorry. Yesterday, I must have got on some Aerosmith fuel bender, but the reality of it is that uh, I lost time. I just completely lost track of the days. And um, <laughs> I guess I still need a producer. Maybe I still do. Maybe I don't. But um, yes, 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 yes. Good evening. Hey, to Robo Beast. Uh, feel, feel free to drop by. I've got tons of um, topics, of course. It's been, uh, what, eight days since we last chatted? Eight days since we last chatted. That's just eight days too many. What can I tell you? So who else has been waiting here since last night? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Now, don't forget, um, you can go to freedomain.locals.com. You can, and it's free, right? You can um, look at video previews, podcast previews, lots of stuff going on there. And I hope that you will check that out, freedomain.locals.com. And uh, you can support me if you want, and I wouldn't mind it a bit. You know, it's funny, I was just, because I made a decision. Uh, for those of you who've been around for a while, just so you know, the planet wherein I liveth, I made a conscious decision when COVID hit to not do donation pitches. I'm not doing donation pitches. And you'll see, of course, I have not done a donation pitch in a year and a half. So if you would like, and that's after I got deplatformed from uh, everything, including, uh, I think, several continents. Anyway, so if you wanted to uh, help me out, I'm not doing a donation pitch. I'm just saying if, because I know it's tough for people out there with, with COVID and all of that. But if you'd like to help me out, you can go to freedomain.com forward slash donate. Bunch of ways that you can do that there. But yeah, I haven't done a donation pitch. And I used to do them once every month or two for 15 years. And I haven't done one for the last year and a half. So just a reminder, if you wanted to help me out, I'd really, really appreciate it. All right, let's uh, let's do our let's do our greetings. Uh, Dog bites potato. Hello, Mog. Hello, Sode. Hey, nice to see you again, Sode. Hope you're doing well. I appreciated the chats. A couple of chats we had, I guess, on Clubhouse. Uh, hello to Oligostasis. Hello to Jaihu Chan. Hello to Spider Bip and Serum 108 and King Leo 42. Bitcoin and Rand Paul handing it to Fauci. Freedomain.com/slash/donate. Thank you, Crazy Freddy. Love you, Steph. One effing dollar. <laughs> Is that still? Of course, yeah. These things take on a life of their own. Uh, I guess about 12 years ago, I mentioned that somebody who'd sent me a $2 donation, uh, I don't mean to, I said, I don't mean to feel ungrateful, but dot, dot, dot. And then everybody went nuts. And of course, the lies all began. He insulted somebody who didn't have much money to donate. Just all lies and nonsense. Uh, hey, Steph, says Ancap Julian. Greetings from Austria. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you very much. JKP Gamer said, I started at 10 bucks a month. Well, I really, really appreciate that. That's very kind. Thank you. Thank you so much. When COVID is over, we might need to hold a free domain fundraising telethon. Yes. Um, it's been exciting. NGL, it's been exciting, but I don't feel right knowing that it's really tough economically for everyone. Like, I'm not a politician. The politicians are all like, you gotta, you gotta lower your income. You gotta deal. We got, we all gotta suffer. And of course, they give themselves pensions and raises and job security in perpetuity. But uh, I, you know, 
I'm I'm in the lifeboat with you. I'm I don't I'm not I'm not a guy who's going to sit there and say, well, you know, people are having a tough time economically, but you got to donate, right? So that's why a year and a half no donation pitches, and uh, so COVID isn't making life tough anymore. The restrictions are well. That is that is very true. That is very true. And you know, it's something I posted um, on social media recently. Like, my God, um, just. The amount of censorship is just mad. It's it's literally quite mad. The amount of censorship around COVID is literally quite mad. And people getting all mad about, oh, there's vaccine hesitancy. Well, well of course there's vaccine hesitancy because there's so much censorship. Vaccine hesitancy is something which directly follows from censorship. The moment you start shutting down conversations, people get suspicious. And who can blame them? It's natural. Like if you see your, your girlfriend or your, your, let's say, you see your fiancé who appears to be texting something salacious to uh, a guy and uh, you, uh, you say, oh, what were you doing? <gasps> she hides it. She changes the lock code. She won't let you into your phone. Of course you're going to get suspicious. And then she's like, you know, you're just weirdly suspicious. It's like, no, I'm not suspicious. Uh, weirdly, I'm suspicious because I ask you a direct question. Things look kind of fishy and you won't let me get the information I need for a correct answer so uh, I'm going to be suspicious. And so the amount of people aren't really talking about this. Like they're just getting mad at people who are vaccine hesitant. And it's like, well, you all chose vaccine hesitancy when you chose to shut down debate and questions. And anybody who's not hesitant about a rushed through quasi vaccine that changes your DNA, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I think it's reasonable to be hesitant. Not, not a whole lot of testing went on. 10 to 14 years to create your average vaccine using proven and known technology. 93, 94% failure rate over that course of time. And this whole new technology thing, yeah, let's every race all over the world, billions of people, pregnant uh, women, kids, breastfeeding, you name it, just throw it in there. Let's see what happens. Like, mm, I think there's some reasons to have some questions. And of course, because if you have questions, you get deplatformed and silence. It's like, it just doesn't look good. So. Uh, if you if you want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy, then just open up the conversation. Open up the conversation. Let people debate. Let them quote data. Let them cite statistics. Let them look at scientific arguments. Let there be free and open and full debate, and that way you will calm people's fears about the vaccine. But if you are not allowing free and open debate, and if people are massively punished for asking some basic questions about a radical new genetic technology, you're going to get hesitancy. But of course, nobody wants to admit that. So what they do is they just say, oh, you know, and you know what's coming, man. You know it's coming. You better prepare yourself for this. What's coming is more variants, more problems. And who's going to get the blame? Who's going to get blamed? Well, are people going to say, well, we really got to look at the Chinese government. We've really got to look at Dr. Fauci. We've really got to look at gain-of-function research, funding of it and everything like that. Nope, <laughs> none of that's going to happen. Come on, you know you know how this rolls. Uh, all that's going to happen is they're going to uh, focus all of their frustration, energy, and anger and rage on the unvaccinated, and the media will be there cornering the unvaccinated, and you've got to get vaccined, and you're the reason that so-and-so's grandmother died, and oh my God, just monstrous. Just monstrous. So... <laughs> Oh, I don't know whether I should tell you guys about that that series of things. But anyway, let's uh, let's see here. Uh, what have we got here? 
UBI means more donations for Steph. <laughs> Listen, never, ever, 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 ever donate anything to me that you can't afford to. I mean, this is why I didn't like the $2 donation. Because if somebody genuinely only has $2 left, I don't want, like, please don't send me your last $2. You know, use that as bus fare to go get a job or something. So, uh, uh, I think locals takes 10%. It's uh, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. And a very nice, a very good platform. Very good platform. Uh, vaccine passports in the UK, formerly a country of liberty. Conservative voters, it's over. At least USA has a way to get elected. I don't know about that last bit. Yeah, vaccine passports, it's, um, it's inevitable. And look, I mean, I'm a science-based, evidence-based guy. If, if everybody is like totally fine from the vaccine, and if the vaccine, this, this new jab, if it can be used to create even more amazing new treatments for cancers and, and heart disease, and, and if there's if this been some magical revolutionary breakthrough in human health, and if we finally have won the battle against coronaviruses, which we've been battling low these many hundreds of thousands of years as a species, and, and if there are no negative health effects, and the fact that the spike protein is concentrating in the bone marrow and the ovaries, and if that's not a problem and everyone's healthy and happy and wonderful, it's like, yeah, sign me up, man. <laughs> Sounds great. But there's a race, right? If there are health issues from the vaccine, and, you know, what is it, 1.7 million adverse reactions in, the, uh, in Europe, a half of which are pretty damn serious. Uh, and the CDC saying, oh, no, 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 the, 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 the reports of, of bad, bad responses and deaths, it was just an error. We just made a mistake. But we, we, we were cutting them out. We're going to get rid of them. But if there are negative effects from the vaccine that are more negative than COVID, um, we'll see. We'll see, right? I mean, again won't get any facts, right? Won't get any facts about it. And the unvaccinated would just be blamed for any negative health effects of the vaccine. So yeah, stay frosty and stay alert. Uh, vaccine is showing how much critical thought has been squashed in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are some, some lawyers who are um, hitting hard some agencies for not, uh, you know, full informed consent, right? This is the whole thing about the Nazi experimentation that occurred in the World War II that resulted in the Nuremberg Code, right? One of the most serious crimes around. I mean, the Nazis experimenting and, and forcing experiments on people and so on. The Japanese did it too, of course. They tested chemical agents and various, I think, medications on particularly Australian uh, prisoners of war during the Second World War. So yeah, wanting to make sure that this never happened again meant that you uh, you know, a whole bunch of standards came up, right? That you had to have a whole bunch of testing. And the only way you could bypass the testing is if, A, the disease was extremely dangerous, and B, there were no treatments for it in any other context or any other way. And so exaggerating the danger and then whatever's going on with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and, and uh, remdesivir and other things, squashing all of that. And again, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know whether these things work or not. I've seen arguments both ways, but the fact that there are arguments both ways, you know, there are not arguments both ways as to whether strychnine is bad for you or cyanide is bad. There are not arguments both ways. But whether arguments both ways, it seems like we should have a full and frank public debate. Um, so the Nuremberg, you, you have to be informed of medical experimentation. You have to be informed of any other potential treatments. You cannot be bribed. You cannot be punished. You There can't be any stick or carrot in these things, and um, 
All of this just seems to me to be completely thrown by the wayside in this mad stampede hysteria stuff. But um, this is why I'm happy not to be in politics anymore. It's not about arguments now. Now it's about genetics, it seems. So. All right. Why do, the, why do people like the Weinstein brothers assume that the people who censor have good intentions? It's, you know, that, that's tough, man. That's tough. I mean, the Department of Defense is building walls in Lebanon and protecting other countries while the southern U.S. border is completely porous and you've got hundreds of thousands of people pouring across it, right? So the Department of Defense is not defending America. The National Institute of Health appeared to have been funding gain-of-function research to figure out how to turn bats into human-attacking airborne death particles about coronaviruses. So it's really tough because it is a very big leap. And I, I, have tough, I have a tough time with this leap. And I'm not there, right? I'm not there. I'm, I'm scanning information. I'm not coming to any conclusions yet because so much of what's being talked about is so far outside my purview that all I can do is take note of patterns and listen to all sides of debate. Uh, I'm, I'm still on the fence. You know, there are some people, and I'm not condoning any of these viewpoints, but we've all heard them, right? There are some people who are like, oh, these, you know, these spike proteins, they collect where the blood flow is the slowest, which is the end, the capillaries, the right at the end of your arteries, they, they collect there. And then what happens is your um, body thinks that because there are spike proteins sticking out of the supposedly smooth walls of the uh, veins or arteries that uh, they're injured and then it tries to fix them, which which kills them and you can't regrow them. And so this is why some people are having lung function issues and heart issues and uh, it's going to be really bad and people are going to be dropping. You know, I don't know, but I don't know if that's true. What do I know? Again, and there are doctors who are saying it's true, but there are doctors who are saying it's not true. And after the whole Q thing, you know, the QAnon thing, um, lots of people being certain about something <laughs> one way or the other is not something that I'm going to get behind. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The people who sense have good intentions. So look, if you genuinely believe that only crazy, extreme, far white, far right wing nuts are vaccine hesitant, and that they're causing other people to get ill, then, you know, censorship, we wouldn't call it censorship, right? You wouldn't call it censorship, you just call it like, reasonable standards, right? And so uh, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. I mean, nobody knows what's going on in these hidden discussions at the senior levels of whoever actually runs the planet. And nobody knows what's going on, right? Nobody knows. So I, um, it's sort of like what happened after November, 11, uh, November the 3rd, right? Uh, last year, the election, uh, it was very coordinated, right? Like this is shut down of conversation about questions about voting standards and duplicates. And, and even though there were videos of some pretty strange looking stuff going on, it was just like, no, you can't talk about it. You can't talk about it. You can't talk about it. And that's just going to make any intelligent person a little nervous and jumpy, right? You can't talk about it, right? You can't talk about it. Um, there were doctors, uh, of course, who said, oh, yeah, hydroxychloroquine, you got your vitamin D, some zinc, some you know, whatever it is, uh, uh, ivermectin and so on. That's all good stuff and we should try it. We should, and it's like, nope, you can't talk about that stuff. You can't talk. And it's like, well, um, why can't we have a big old public debate? Why can't we have a big old public debate? Why can't we have a big old public debate, which is, okay, let's say theoretically we shut down significant proportions, significant portions of the healthcare system for, I don't know, a year and a half. 
that's going to cost people some lives. And there's evidence coming out in Canada that three times the number of people have died from not getting health care than from the virus. And it's like, I don't know if that's true. I don't know, because again, you know, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. But it seems like something we should be openly debating. It's the most consequential and important societal state-based decision, right? The lockdowns and denying any debate about uh, treatments for uh, COVID. And like that's shutting down in society, cutting people off from their healthcare, throwing them out of work, putting the countries massively into debt. This is the very biggest public government decision since the Second World War, right? It's by far the very, and I did a whole novel on the lead up to the Second World War. You can get it for free, freedomain.com forward slash almost. Please, please check out this book. Just listen to it for an hour. You'll love it. And it's a great, great book. There was so much debate about the Second World War. I mean, it went on since the early 1930s, mid-1930s, uh, Chamberlain and, and Lord Halifax and Churchill and massive amounts of public debate about the Second World War. This whole lockdown thing, by far the biggest public decision, the government decision since the Second World War. No debate. No debate. No debate. And there's so much data. There's so much data, right? Because you've got states that locked down, states that didn't lock down, states that imposed masks, states that didn't impose masks. You have three, what, the three African countries where the rulers said, um, we're not taking the vaccine. We're not taking the vaccine. And Haiti was one. I can't remember the other. And, and all those three African leaders are now dead, um, which, you know, probably nothing. But, you know, it seems like this is something worth having a conversation about. And so when you have by far the biggest government decision of the last 70 years with virtually no debate, and not only no debate, but any attempt to debate gets shut down, it's just going to make anybody with half a brain pretty fucking jumpy, okay? Of course it is. Of course it is. Because that's not how things should roll, right? That's not how things should roll. I mean, it's... <laughs> hey, do, do you feel like being locked in your 500-square-foot apartment for the next 18 months, not being able to see anyone? You know, your parents might die in an old-age home. You can't even go and visit them, and you're going to lose your job, and you're going to bleed out your savings, and you're not going to have any access to health care, and you can't travel? Are we going to discuss this at all? No. <laughs> no. Why, why would you discuss it? It's the biggest impact that the government has ever had in your entire life. Biggest impact the government has ever had in your entire life. It's a democracy, right? Should be big, open, free debate. Should open up halls. Should have experts, giant charts. You should have people voting on, on this. I mean, you, you, why can't you have a referendum on lockdown? I mean, come on. Why? No, no debate. Shut the fuck up, get in your hole, and stay there till we tell you to come out. There's no debate. No debate, no conversation, no arguments, no data. Nothing's allowed. Nothing's allowed. Again, I don't know which way things roll. I don't know which way things roll. But I would feel a whole lot more comfortable if there had been a whole lot of debate. Like, can you imagine, right? COVID comes along and you say, okay, well, here's the death rate that we know of. Here's the mechanics of it. Um, so here's the costs of lockdowns. And, and here's the costs of people not getting healthcare. And, and here's the costs of people losing their jobs. And here's the costs of people dying from opioid 
addiction because they can't get surgery to deal with pain issues like bad knees and bad hips. And here's the cost of kids. You know, there was there was some study where they, it seemed to me, again, what do I know, right? It seemed to me a whole bunch of people were going into these kids and they measured the masks, right? And they said, okay, how much CO2 was gathering in the kids' masks? It turns out it was like six times more than the government allowed. And then that paper was withdrawn for political reasons. It's like, um, excuse me, like we have stand, you kids can't have more than this CO2. And then you measure them in the mask and then it's six times that. That seems important. Can't debate it. Can't, can't debate any of this stuff. So I can't judge the science. I can't judge the medicine. I can't, I can't judge any of it. What I can do is I can judge the censorship. I can judge the censorship. So, yeah. And then, if, like, and, and of course, the, uh, the media is almost totally paid for, right? Bought off them, either directly, directly subsidized by the government because alternative media was so effective, at least while we were still allowed to have a platform. Alternative media was so effective, we were drawing eyeballs away from the mainstream media. So the mainstream media ran to the government. That's in, in most of the countries now. That's a little tough to do in, in America. But in America, of course, the mainstream media is not bought and paid for by the government, although there are some aspects of that, but the mainstream media is dependent upon the ads from the pharmaceutical industry. I can't remember the, like, hit me if you know this number, like, what, what is the average number of medications that the average American is on? Oh, it's staggering. And of course, if you're ever in the States and you turn on the TV and, and here in Canada, of course, they don't really advertise this stuff, but you go to the States, you turn on the TV, it's like every Every ad is the same damn thing. It's like some guy running along the beach with his grandson and a kite and some guy rapidly talking about all the possible side effects of taking this drug. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's faster than the, um, the quick terms and conditions that come at the end of car ads <laughs> on the radio. I mean, it's all so the mainstream media, what are they going to go against that which drives profits for the pharmaceutical industry? I don't think so. Plus, you know, fear porn gets people's attention. There's nothing more motivating in human life than, than fear. So, that's very strange. Yeah, it's wild. They've already started that unvaccinated are to blame in my Democrat county. Yes, for sure. Yes, for sure. <laughs> What's the second part to there are two kinds of people post? It was incomplete. I know that's a joke. So, yeah, I posted this an old joke and I, I got it from someone. But um, the joke is there are two kinds of people in this world. One, people who can come to conclusions from incomplete information. And then that's the end, right? So. Let's see here. Um, what else have we got here? Mexico isn't a military threat. Um, no, I get that. But people are coming into America through the southern border and going on welfare and taking resources and all that kind of stuff, right? Delta variant cases going up. Do you believe another lockdown of sorts will take root? Um, so, you know, th this is where we enter the ugly phase of the pandemic. And it's been plenty ugly so far. But the ugly phase of the pandemic is if... Okay, so this is my admittedly amateur understanding of, of how things go, right? So you, you get the vaccine, it produces all these spike proteins. And then if you get coronavirus, your body attacks because it's covered in spike proteins. Doesn't prevent you from getting infected. 
it does not prevent you from spreading the virus. What it does do is it suppresses some of the symptoms. So if you've got a very dangerous virus, according to the mainstream narrative, you've got a very dangerous virus, the one thing that makes it less dangerous is you feel sick, so you stay home. So if you've got a vaccine and you don't feel sick, but you're still spreading it, that's not good, isn't it? I mean, I don't see how that's good. It's one of the reasons why SARS never spread that far, right? SARS-1, this is SARS-2 in a way, right? But SARS-1 didn't spread that because the moment you got sick, you face-planted on your couch and you just could barely move and, and so you couldn't go out into the world. So if you have this vax thing that suppresses symptoms but you can still spread it, it seems to me that things are still going to be uh, out and about. And again, it does seem to suppress the symptoms and it does seem to do a pretty good job of that as far as I can tell. So the ugly thing is, let's say there are variants that break through, right? Because you got you got non-leaky vaccines and leaky vaccines. And again, remember, this is all just my amateur understanding of this stuff, right? So a non-leaky vaccine is like, you know, like I've still got on my arm here. I don't know if you can see it, but <laughs> I mean, under all the muscle. But um, oh, yeah, there it is, right? I've still got my smallpox vaccine mark where they had endless jabs with the looked like a toothpick or something when I was a kid. And I think smallpox is not a leaky vaccine. It's not like you get infected with smallpox and it kills only some of them, but then some of them are still surviving and get stronger and right become more, more aggressive that way, right? So if you, um, a, a leaky vaccine, and I think this is a leaky vaccine, so that's what happens when you, you get it. It kills, like say, I don't know what the number is, 70, 80, 90% of it. But the ones that remain are more, immune to being killed off by the vaccine or your immune response based on the spike protein programming. And so if the the, the leaky vaccine strengthens coronavirus, and I'm sure you've heard, I think it's a, is it a Dutch guy or something who's basically saying this is the first time in human history that we've administered a vaccine during a pandemic? Because when you administer a vaccine, this is his argument, not mine. Again, I'm not saying whether it's true or not because I don't know. But his argument is that if you administer a vaccine during a pandemic, then what you're doing is you're training the virus to evade the vaccine, right? And this is what some of these variants are. I've heard the argument, whether it's true or not, like that the, the sort of warp speed thing under Trump, the vaccine, what it was doing was it was targeting SARS-CoV-2 as it was back in uh, late 2019, early 2020. But that one's not around anymore. I mean, so it's, you know... <laughs> targeting something that doesn't really exist anymore because all the variants and stuff. So if, if the argument is correct that if you administer a vaccine during a pandemic, you're simply training the virus you're targeting to learn how to evade the vaccine, then, yeah, we're going to get more variants. And then people are going to have to get booster shots. And they're, I don't know, what, what happens? What happens? You've, you, you've got, you're outsourcing your immune system to the government and the government saying, well, I don't know what happens. I don't know. But it doesn't seem like a very good thing that you'd keep getting all these booster shots. Then, of course, there's the argument that what happens is when you, um, and this is what I think happened with the animal trials way back in the day before all of this stuff, why, why they weren't able to continue with this stuff, is that you get some coronavirus. It's not SARS-CoV-2. You get some coronavirus, and you get all of your immune-provoked attack upon the spike proteins that are on the regular old coronavirus, right? And so they, but they don't kill it. But then your immune system can't go in and kill it because it's all covered with this vaccine-provoked response. 
So it, it, the, the coronavirus has kind of become bulletproof in your system because your natural immune system can't deal with it because they're covered but not killed by all of the vaccine-provoked response and all that. Again, true or not, I have no idea. I have no idea. But I think that's what happened with the, um, the ferrets and, and other animals where they tried this stuff on before. And uh, that's why the fall, I think, will be the big test when people start getting regular old coronaviruses and how they respond to it. Could be totally fine. Could not. Be, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So the ugly phase is if it doesn't work, right? Look, again, I'm a science-based guy. I'm a reason and evidence-based guy, as I'm sure you guys are as well. So if it's safe, uh, if it's wonderful new technology, if it's amazing, you know, beam stuff into your body, rewrite half your DNA, and suddenly you become bulletproof to coronaviruses, you know, no no negative effects. No, I mean, we know there are negative effects for a small number of people from the vaccine itself. But okay, well, that's information, right? If it does go sideways, if it does not go as well as people hope, in other words, and, and this could be two or more things, right? So one could be that the the vaccine is really good, but it's leaky, and therefore the viruses that survive the vaccine will be able to bypass the vaccine and others, and then you've got this race. You've got to keep pumping people full of these booster shots to deal with every new variant. Now, a lot of the jabs seem to be dealing fairly well with the new variants, as far as what I can tell. Again, totally amateur reading hour, but they seem to be doing pretty well with the uh, existing variants, so that's good, I suppose. The other issue is if there are negative health effects down the road, I mean, they obviously haven't studied what happens with all these spike proteins, which some people are calling a cytotoxin, which some people are calling hazardous, these spike proteins that are floating all around in people's systems. And they were, I think the idea was that all of these spike proteins that were generated, but are going to stay in the shoulder muscle where they put the jab in. But now they find that 75% of them are just roaming and gloaming all over the body. What does that mean? What does that do? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm never one to, like, I'll do philosophy from here to eternity, but I'm not a guy who's going to sit there, read a bunch of technical papers and I'm an immunologist, <laughs> right? Of course not. Of course not. I'm just scanning the horizon, looking at the information and trying to make uh, reasonable decisions in a pretty censored and unstable environment. See, this is the problem with the censorship, is you've got people out there making what to me seemed like wild outlandish claims about the dangers and people are going to drop like flies and blah, blah, blah. I want those people, I want those people to get into very public debates with the pro-vaccine people, with the, with the experts, right? I, I want head to head, I want, but that's not what's happening, right? Because you've got this bifurcation, right? You've got the mainstream narrative and what's allowed on social media. And then you have all of this other stuff and they're not meeting and they're not resolving their disputes and they're not resolving their differences. So people are getting bifurcated. That's the problem with censorship. It creates two or more worlds which never talk to each other again. And that creates additional hostility, particularly if everyone says, well, I'm in danger because you're not getting um, vaccinated, right? So... Yeah, it's um, the, the ugly phase is if things go sideways, things go wrong for whatever reason, right? If things go wrong, there's no way the government's going to take responsibility. There's no way the pharmaceutical companies are going to take responsibility. There's no way the mainstream media is going to take responsibility for a variety of narcissistic and legal reasons. So they're going to have to find a scapegoat. And who's that scapegoat going to be? Well, the scapegoat's going to be the unvaccinated, and uh, it's going to be pretty rough, so... All right, let's see here. So yeah, whether or not another lockdown of sorts will take root, it depends. If 
there are is a rise is if there's a rising number of cases and listen i'll be honest with you guys i'll be honest with you you guys straight up again i don't have any proof for this i'm just telling you the way the thoughts are pinball like bouncing around in my head my thoughts is that if there are problems health problems that emerge from the vaccine they will find a way to blame that on the unvaccinated and so i am so far from thinking well i mean if there are problems with the vaccine that's going to be tough to hide it's like um, you know, it's pretty easy for them to shred my reputation, despite there being no facts behind it. So if there are problems with the vaccine, you'll find that in alternative media, but you won't find that in the mainstream media. In the mainstream media, they'll say, oh, it must be a new variant. Oh, and that new variant is being spread by the unvaccinated and blah, 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 blah. And so problems with the vaccine, not saying there will be, if there are problems with the vaccine, more than is being reported, then... They'll just find a way to pin it on the unvaccinated, and it's not going to be not going to be any fun at all. So, all right. So let's see here. Did the U.S. even have lockdowns? Yeah, certainly did. Certainly did. Yeah. Yeah, spike proteins stick, sticking out of the capillaries. Well, that's that's what I've heard, right? That's uh, that the spike proteins gather where the capillaries end, which is you know in your lungs and and other places where they just sort of trail off at the end and. Your body thinks that they're injured, so it tries to repair them, makes it worse, and, and it's just bad as a whole. So, Again, don't know if it's true. I'm not going to ever pretend to have knowledge that I don't have, right? All right. Um, uh, somebody says, my whole family caught COVID from a 4th of July get-together. I can't believe how contagious this variant is. I think lockdowns are coming. Yeah, yeah. Can't have a public debate because the truth doesn't fit their narrative. Well, see, that's the suspicion, right? I don't know. I don't know because I can't, I can't see a public debate happening. I mean, you know, I want to see, you know, ten penny versus, you know, some pro-vax person. I, I want to see um, Mikowitz versus. I just like I'd get them in the same room, broadcast it. Let's. I mean, I hey, give me four, give them four hours, give them eight hours, give them a team, give them visual. I don't care. Um, just let's have a robust discussion of the facts. This is a giant, monstrous, massive government decision. Massive. And because it's funded by the government, there's not a cost-benefit analysis. I mean, if, if it was you, if they said, oh, we need a thousand bucks from you for this shot, you'd be like, oh, is there anything cheaper, anything better? Let me explore that. Let me try and figure these things out, right? There's no cost-benefit analysis. There's no... It's just, it's just pushed as a relentlessly positive thing with no possible downsides, and no one can know that. No one alive can know that for sure, which is why if you're not getting a vax, you're just in the control group, right? Because the, the, what is it, end next year, October, the, the trials? Are people being informed that it's a trial? Are they being informed of the alternative treatments? If, if such exist, are they being informed? <sighs> of the actual risk to them. And what was it? Four I think in the UK, four times more kids died of suicide than COVID. So, I mean, kids are almost at no risk as far as I know. So why the push? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, suicides, businesses destroyed. And here's the thing too, you know, when you have lockdowns, um, you know, there, uh, what is it? One in five girls and one in uh, sorry one in three girls and one in five boys are molested as as children, right? So one in three girls 
and one in five boys. I mean, I just did a little bit of research today for no, I won't even tell you why. I was just listening to some music. So I listened to I Want Your Love. You know, that, that, uh, you look like you're lots of fun. Uh, you spin me right round, baby, right round. And that guy, uh, I think he died to some degree, what, in 2016 from having way too much plastic surgery and stuff. Yeah, raped as a kid. Raped as a kid. I was um, reading about uh, Blondie, Deborah Harry, that uh, she was in a relationship with her guitarist as an adult, and she was raped by somebody who broke into their home to steal things. Uh, I think they were using drugs at the time, so probably pretty bad stuff as a whole. So... Where's that debate? Saying, okay, well, if we lock down, if we lock down, then we're locking children in with pedophiles. Some children are going to be locked in with pedophiles, and the pedophiles are not likely to be biologically related to them because non-related children, sorry, non-related males in the environment are over 30 times more likely to abuse children, not just sexually abuse, but abuse as a whole. Any debate about this? Any debate? Any comparison of Deaths due to opioid overuse because you can't get health care, as I talked about, for bad hips, bad knees, bad back, or whatever, right? Any, no, can't, can't talk about any of this stuff. There's no rational cost-benefit analysis. It's just a straight stampede to the injections, and uh, that's not good. All right. Um, the cathedral can only tolerate controlled debate. Uh, even vaccinated people are catching Delta variant. One person at work has it. Well, again, again, a total amateur hour, just to remind everyone, don't know what I'm talking about, but my understanding, of course you're going to catch. If, you, if you're vaccinated, you can catch COVID. You can be infected by COVID. You can spread COVID. It just suppresses symptoms. That's the vaccine suppresses symptoms. My wife goes to hospital every time she sneezes. Well, you know, this is a, the women's relationship to sickness is pretty wild. It's pretty wild. Uh, my stepdad is on a ventilator. It's terrible. All the kids got over it fast, though. Oh, without a doubt. Like, some people, when they get hit with COVID, it hits them like a battering ram, without a doubt. Let's see here. When UK extended its COVID powers for six months, it wasn't on BBC News Top 10 Stories. Yeah. Yeah, and isn't there just a kind of question, isn't there just a kind of question that happens, which is, you know, if you, if you were to take the speed limit, right, in America, it's what, 70 miles an hour, 65 miles an hour, if you were to take the speed limit and cut it in half, like around the world, so in Canada, it's 100 clicks an hour on a four-lane highway, take it down to 50, okay? So in America, 35,000 people a year die of car crashes. And I don't know how many hundreds of thousands are injured, right? It's a lot of deaths. It's a lot of deaths. What is it? 0.1% of the population, right? So one out of 10,000 people in America every year die of a car accident. I probably don't have that math right. But <laughs> forgive me. I'm, I'm, I'm just being pretty. But so you, you could have a debate. You could say, you know, we're going to cut down the speed limit by half and we're going to save... 20,000, 30,000 lives a year. Okay? But there's a cost-benefit involved in that, which is takes you longer to get places. Um, you're going to have to pay more because more truckers' hours you have to pay for. Like, there's just going to be... So there'd be a whole big complicated cost-benefit calculation that would occur. 
just as when speed limits go up a little bit, you know, oh, a big cost-benefit analysis that occurs, right? So without doubt, you could save tens of thousands of lives a year in America by cutting speed limit in half. Because, you know, you're obviously much more likely to die at 70 miles an hour than you are at 35 miles an hour, right? So you could save lives with public policy changes, right? Like that, right? Easy peasy, right? But there would be a cost-benefit analysis that would be quite complicated, right? And then you'd have to say, well, okay, um, so you'd save some lives, but the problem is fruits and vegetables would have to take a lot longer to get places because half the speed. So that would mean that fruits and vegetables would be more expensive, and therefore people who have less money would not be able to afford as many fruits and vegetables. So maybe they'd get cancer and sick because they're not getting enough fruits and vegetables. And you, Like there's a whole complicated thing that would have to go through. A whole complicated thing that you would have to go through just for that little policy change. Well, not a little policy change, but a relatively simple policy change compared to what's going on right now. You'd have a very, very big debate about all of that, and there'd be lots of charts and graphs and math and, you know, and all of that, and that's like nothing. And at what point, I suppose, is the big question, right? At what point do you say, okay, I've now been basically locked in solitary in my 500-square-foot apartment working from home, not being afraid to use the elevator, being afraid to go out, being afraid to get on the bus. At what point is it like, you know what? I got to fucking live. I, I, I got to go have a life. And if that means that life comes with some risk, I'll take it. I'll take that risk because this is barely living. And again, of course, the big carrot is, well, you get your vax and you'll get your life back and so on, right? But again, according to medical ethics of any kind, you're not allowed to bribe people with their own freedoms in order to get them to take an experimental medical treatment, particularly for one which there seems to be some strong arguments there is it already a treatment for, but the treatment for, if it's something like, and I don't know if it is, but if it's something like ivermectin, ivermectin is uh, not copyrighted or not patented anymore, so it wouldn't make much, much money. All right. Ask a doctor how many nutrition classes they've taken in medical school. Yes. Australia just started new lockdowns over one death. Yeah, I mean, we've lived pretty safe lives for a lot of times. And you need men in the family for children to learn how to evaluate risk. It's a general statement. There are exceptions, of course, general statement. You need men in the family in order for children to learn how to evaluate risk. So I went, um, <laughs> yesterday, it was kind of funny, I went uh, crayfish hunting with my daughter. And so we took off our shoes and we walked into a river and we were, you know, catching little minnows and, and she got a couple of crayfish and so on. And it was great, great fun. We walked all the way down, climbed down a waterfall. It was just, it was a blast, right? But there's risk involved in that. You could get a leech. Right, you could step on something sharp. You could slip on the water. Like there's a, there's a risk. There's a risk involved in that, and that's that's a dad thing. It's a dad thing to say to kids, "Give it a shot." Yeah, you might fall, you might hurt yourself, but you've got to learn how to manage risk in this life. So if you don't learn how to manage risk, you spend your whole life afraid and give up the ghost long before death comes to take you. Right? You live scared in a box because you don't know how to assess risk, and a lack. So to me. It's not accidental that single motherhood is vastly on the increase. 
And we have a population that doesn't know how to assess risk because for single moms, it's like everything's scary. Uh, everyone's going to grab their kids and throw them in a van and, and you just stay home and uh, stay on the couch and, and just don't, don't roam, roam around the neighborhood. I mean, hit me, hit me with a why if you were glorious anarchy kid. I was. I didn't want to go home and my mom didn't care where I was. So I would just go out all day, all night. I would just go... We would go garbage picking and see if we could get any cool stuff from particularly industrial garbage, which sometimes we did. We would piece together bikes from various things, various pieces that, that we got, and we'd make our own bikes, and we'd just bike all over the place. And we would organize pickup games of, of baseball and, and soccer, and then we'd go play Dungeons and Dragons at someone's house, which was basically free. I mean, so I was just roaming all over the place. So I learned how to assess risk, and I couldn't have done this show and survived for 16 years if I didn't know how to assess risk. And I still have no regrets over the risks that I took, because to me they were absolutely worth it. So yeah, were you allowed to roam around? Or was your mom like, phone me when you get there, and then phone me when you're coming home, and, and text me on the way, ha, ha. Like, I was gone, baby, gone from the age of, oh gosh. I mean, when I was, uh, I, got, I got back from boarding school when I was eight. I went from the ages of six to eight. And I remember past eight, I would just be out and, you know, my mom would occasionally ring a cowbell to invite me back for, or bring me back for dinner and then I'd head back out again. And I remember going down to the woods uh, and, and we'd bring a little tin of beans, which we'd pound open with a rock sometimes and we'd, somebody would bring a pot and somebody would bring some matches. We'd light a little fire and, you know, and, and, and chat and make farting noises <laughs> because we had too many beans. And this was, you know, you didn't need much money at all. And you just roamed all over the place. I built tree houses uh, with uh, friends of mine. And uh, yeah, we just did stuff. Just go. And my mom never knew where I was. There were no texts, no phones. No, and she never knew where I was. So you learned how to assess risk with yourself. I had a friend of mine who was dirt bike crazy. Like he, he, he was, um, his mom had some, his mom worked for the government. So I had some pretty decent money. And he got one of these dirt bikes that had, you know, the shocks, and, and I had literally the Adam Sandler uh, piece of crap car, bike of seven colors and different, <laughs> different wheels, and only one of the brakes worked, different size wheels and all of that. And so he was nuts with the risks. I mean, he had a bit of a death wish, a bit of a Thanatos thing going on there. And he did actually end up dying in a motorcycle accident when, I think, before he was 20. But, yeah, and his risk was, like, too much for me. Like, he would bike off walls. He, he would, like, go straight down, like, like... 70 degree dirt paths and I was like I'm, I, uh, no no thanks right I mean I was I, I as a teenager I went skydiving I learned I taught myself how to ski uh, I, and I dirt biked a lot and um, I would cross train trestle bridges <laughs> in the middle of the night I was okay with some level of risk his risk was too much for me and he ended up rolling snake eyes on that risk calculation again before he was 20 it was really really tragic but we just don't have a society that knows how to assist assess risk anymore and just immediately gravitates to the safe option, which is a feminine perspective. A feminine perspective. So again, crazy. All right. The word vaccine is not the correct term. Well, yeah, I mean, there is the argument that they took over the word vaccine because it has such a positive reputation, but uh, it's not a vaccine as far as I understand it, according to traditional. You know, the traditional thing is they take an attenuated or half-dead or dead virus, put it in your body, and your immune system comes from that. This is not how this thing works uh, as well. So, 
You have the smallpox vaccine skin indentation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my vaccinated family got sick, but they did They did seem to fare better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And now the big question is, if you got vaccinated and you got COVID, are you immune now because of the double thing, right? Uh, let's see here. Did you see the exchange between Fauci and Paul the other day? Thoughts? Yes, I did see it. And Rand Paul is um, is a magnificent bastard. What can I say? I mean, he's a magnificent bastard. And so for those of you who don't know, and you can go and watch it, I'm paraphrasing it here. Uh, Rand Paul basically said to Dr. Fauci, Dr. Paul said to Dr. Fauci, uh, it looks like you lied to Congress because you said that you never funded gain of research and fun- gain of function research. And, you know, here's the blah, blah, blah. Here's the papers. And, you know, here's the evidence that you funded gain of function research. And Dr. Fauci said, no, absolutely. I know what you're referring to. You don't know what you're talking about. There's a whole bunch of people up and down the chain who said it's not gain of function research. It's like, well, Dr. Fauci for 40 years has controlled funding for a lot of medical experimentation. So of course, you're not going to cross Dr. Fauci because then you won't get your funding, I would assume. I don't know. I mean, that's what I've heard that the people are concerned about that kind of stuff. So and Dr. Fauci didn't provide any particular rebuttals to it other than People have said, people, and I assume it's people who he has significant influence over, have told me, have told everyone it's not gain-of-function research. But Rand Paul is saying, look, you're taking back coronaviruses and you're teaching them how to infect human cells. If that's not gain-of-function research, then there's no such thing as that term, right? That makes no sense, right? And now Rand Paul has referred Dr. Fauci's lying to, what he calls lying to Congress, uh, which carries up to a five-year prison sentence to the DOJ, uh, but, of course, nothing's going to happen. I mean, nothing's going to happen to the guy. So, yeah, I did see it. All right, see here. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's theater, right? Because a lot of people are like, uh, this is the exchange that will end Dr. Fauci's career. It's like, the, dude, the guy has survived in Washington for like 40-plus years, right? And they're already doing damage control. I, I can't remember what magazine I was reading that was saying, oh, you know, he's just an ophthalmologist, Rand Paul, and he hasn't been board certified or hasn't been licensed since this time. And, and you know, just heaping scorn upon the guy rather than analyzing any of the arguments, because for reporters, it's apparently their job is now just to be bitchy. Like it's not to analyze any facts whatsoever. It's just to be bitchy about people. And just, right? So we have no way to know the truth now. The expert's role is to just mislead. Well, I don't know. Again, so there's lots of... We do have the alternative media thing, right? So there is going to be some backdoor. But again, you know, the alternative media is infested with with cranks and crazies. And also it's infested, it's invested with people who are deliberately putting out bad information, right? I mean, I'm sure that there are lots of intelligence agencies out there who are putting out lots of bad information just to discredit people as a whole and discredit platforms, right? So they'll put out some really bad piece of, of misinformation, and then it will get promulgated on some platform, and then they'll say, oh, it turns out that's totally false, but look how it was spread on, in this platform, and, and, and we got to shut this platform down. I mean, it's all, you know, I hate to say it's all so boring, but it is. It's all so boring. It's like, I don't know if you know, there was Israeli, Israeli-developed software or attack mechanism called, I think it's called Pegasus. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but you know, Android and iPhones are particularly vulnerable, and some group found like 50,000 names of people who were suspected of having their phones hacked by this stuff. And 
it's a, you know, sometimes you get a message and you've got to click on it and that it installs the virusware. Sometimes, apparently, I have no idea how this works, but sometimes you don't even have to click on the message. All you have to do is receive it. And for some mysterious, godforsaken NSA backdoor reason, this vile stuff and plants itself on your cell phone and then it can go through your contacts, it can go through your emails, it has root permissions, more permissions even than you as a user have. It can turn on your microphone, it can turn on your camera, you get a super spyware device going on. And yeah, a bunch of politicians, a bunch of journalists, a bunch of activists and so on have all had this kind of stuff. Why, why this exists, why it's even remotely possible to send a message to someone's phone and then have that phone turn into a super spy device, I have no idea. Like, how is that even remotely possible? How is it possible for that to happen? But it does, I suppose. Maybe it's an intentional backdoor. Maybe it's just some super exploit. We'll find out. Well, maybe we won't. And so for me, you know, given the number of people who've been targeted probably successfully with this, I mean, if you're a political leader and they've got your search history, your emails, your your texts, your contacts, your they've turned on the camera and they've turned on the... the um, uh, they've turned on the audio in your meetings, and they've got. All, I, I mean, you're not you're not responsible to the people anymore. You're just responsible to whoever's got this information, and that's they're going to call the shots. So, anyway, to me, anybody who's on that list, it's like okay, but you got to cancel that. They can't run for public office. You have to reelect them, everyone, right? But uh, it won't matter, right? So I guess they needed something after Epstein, right? So, all right. Uh, sorry, I'm a little a little bit behind here. I'm a little bit behind here. Tom Brady just took the vaccine? No. Maybe he's making a good call. Maybe he's making a good call. Uh, right. Oh, if you guys uh, let me let me get caught up and then I'll I'll talk about I'll talk about something else. When will UPB be an NFT? Well, UPB is free. But I'm going to put out an NFT couple of days, probably, maybe this weekend. When I was 23, I wrote a big document called The Rationalist Manifesto, which was my response to the Communist Manifesto. And it's really... Anyway, so I reread it for the first time in 31 years. And I read it. Uh, it takes me a couple of hours to go through it and analyze the differences between what I believed then and what I believe now. And it's pretty, it was pretty wild to, to go back like this time portal to 23-year-old Steph's brain and uh, realize what I thought about philosophy and, and epistemology and, and politics and, and ethics and all of that. It's pretty wild to uh, go back in time that way. It's been very good for me. It's been very good for me because... Like at 55, so I'm, I'm going to be 55 in like two months or whatever, right? Yeah, two months and two days. So at 55, Freedom 55 was a big thing when I was growing up. Uh, is it available in ebook format, Rationalist Manifesto? Well, yeah, I'm going to put it out. I don't know about ebook. I'll probably put it out as a PDF. But uh, uh, it, it, so what happens is I've looked back 31 years, 23 to 54. I look back 31 years. Now, my dad died in his 80s. My mom's still alive in her 80s. So let's say I get to my... Let's say I get to 85, right? So from where I am now, 85 is 31 years forward. See, I'm feeling a little creaky at 54, but I look back at 23, 31 years back. Now I can look forward 31 years, and I don't really feel like I'm getting too old. I feel like, oh, my God, it's such an incomprehensible amount of time since I was 23, and I make it to 85. That's an incomprehensible amount of time, too. So isn't that, isn't that beautiful? So why does the word manifesto <laughs> sound so sinister? Because... 
uh, with the communist thing, or maybe the Kaczynski thing, I don't know. Anyway, so I'm going to put it out as an NFT because uh, it's really, really great. And again, I think it's a slice of history, slice of history of philosophy. I think I'm going to be very big in the history of philosophy. And I don't say this as a, like a vainglorious statement. It's just, why wouldn't you aim to be the biggest if you possibly could, right? So, uh, Thoughts on workplaces mandating the vax? Well, they can't. I mean, they can only say you have to have the vax if you work here. They can't mandate it. Like, they can't force you to take it, right? So, all right. Um, why are some people so open-minded and non-judgmental towards anything but rationality and shame others saying close-minded? Well, people with a bad conscience are afraid of being judged. And really, they're afraid of being judged by themselves. I will tell you something. There's a very, very powerful thing that you need to understand, I, I assume that most of you who are listening to this, most of you who are watching this, thank you, I appreciate that, you have a pretty good conscience. You have a pretty good conscience. I've done thousands of call-in shows over the past 15 or 16 years. I've only had a handful of people who have a genuinely bad conscience. So the vast majority of people who listen to this show have a pretty good conscience. And you know what that means? You don't have a bomb in the brain that other people can detonate with a word. You, let me say this again. You've got to understand this about the world. Most people around the world have done really terrible things. Most people have done really, they've hit their kids. They've cheated. They've stolen. They've betrayed people. They've, they've busted up marriages. They're homewreckers. They've, they've had affairs. They've just done really terrible things. They've ignored their kids. They've dove into video games or ignored the people in their lives. They've betrayed their own potential. They've just done bad things. And they have two sides to their brain. The side that knows and the side that doesn't know. Now, the side that doesn't know grows out of the side that knows, the big scar tissue that grows over the side that knows the bad that they've done, the wrong that they've done, the possibly and probably irredeemable harm that they've done to others. You know, you've hurt your kid, you've ignored your kid, you've beaten your kid, you've molested your kid, whatever. You can't fix that. You can't. I mean, the kid can fix it, right? I did, right? But you, as the abuser, you can't fix it. Because if you beat your kid uh, for 10 years, there's nothing you can do or say that's going to make that okay. Nothing you can do or say that's going to make that okay. So you and I, everyone else listening to this, we have no bomb in the brain. No bomb in the brain. So you've got two sides to your brain. One knows that you're a shitty person who did evil things. And the other is the part that covers over that, absorbs it, is a scar tissue so you can never get through. Keep these sides. And then they separate, right? So what happens is, you know, you and I become along, we've got a good conscience, we've got a good conscience, right? So, dum-dee-dum-dee-dum, you know, I've never hurt children, I've been a good father, I worked in a daycare, the kids really liked me, I like the kids, we got along well, and I've treated everyone well, I've told the truth, I've done good things, all that. So you just dum-dee-dum, and, and we're like, hey, you know, hey, I'm talking about uh, the non-aggression principle, uh, spanking. What if you've circumcised your kid, you've circumcised your son, you had a hack medieval bullshit doctors saw off a third of your son's penis skin mutilating him for life oh that's bad that's bad 
So we're just we're just dum dum going through life, chatting about philosophy, curious about things, and we don't know. The landmines we're stepping on, we don't know. Hey, what happens if I put this wire together in your brain? You'll be illuminated. <laughs> They're not illuminated. They're destroyed. They're destroyed. They have to keep the parts of themselves separate. The part that did evil things and the part that pretends not to know. They have to be. When they fuse together, it's matter and antimatter. It simply takes out themselves and their entire society of relationships, right? Not physically. They don't die. In a sense, it's worse. They can no longer deny the evil that they've done. And the nihilism, the death impulse, all begins to flood into them like black ink into their veins. The pretense of life falls away. And the rotting zombie face is revealed in the internal mirror. So you need to understand, if you have a good conscience, you're just playing with unconnected wires, seeing how they fit together, seeing what works. But for other people, it's a thousand-fault live wire that can wipe them out. So if people have split themselves because they both have done evil and wish to keep doing evil, they've split themselves, and you come along and try and join these things back together, which is what philosophy does, joins everything back together, makes everything unified. Mm. You're like, hey, I got this ball, catch, right? And you just see a little tennis ball or whatever, hey, catch, let's throw it back, let's have a game, right? What they see is big, giant, radioactive coronavirus <laughs> or something. Ah, right? It's a bomb. It's a grenade. And so much of people's, this is what triggered and all, like so much of people's lives are managing, unconsciously often, is managing the information that will unite their brain and have them look at themselves honestly in the mirror for the first time probably in their adult life. These are the kids, the elder siblings who abuse the younger siblings, the bullies who abused the children, the guys who cornered the girls and groped them when they were kids. Like all of the shitty things that people do. And I guarantee you virtually with the certainty that you're not one of those people. And so you can wander around and be curious. Hey, UPP, that's very interesting. Hey, no spanking, no circumcision. That's very interesting. Let's talk about it. And then what happens is you keep clicking on these landmines and people keep trying to blow your leg off, right? Because they need to keep you away. Imagine you live in a town, you grow up in a town, and everyone but you is a vampire. <laughs> everyone but you, and you're like, you know, I mean, I like nighttime. I think it's kind of cool. It's, it's dark. It's mysterious. It's exciting. But I wouldn't mind being out during the day, right? And, and everyone's hiding the fact that they're vampires. You're not a vampire. So you, you're just like, hey, guys, let's, let's get up at noon and let's go outside, for God's sakes. And you wake people up at noon and you, come on, man, let's go out. And you playfully start dragging them towards the door. Now, you can go out and you have a great time. You get a little tan. You get some fresh air, sunshine. Your eyes burn a little, but you're fine. But they will melt into a thousand tiny atomic bats, fly to Wuhan, and fade into nothing, Right? So you're trying to drag these vampires into the light saying, hey, it's great out here. You're not vampires. Not vampires. Come on out, right? And then you wonder why they get so tense, so angry, for weirdly frustrated and hostile, but they can't ever be direct about it. They can't say, I'm a vampire. I can't, you know, I can't. Sorry. 
Sun and me, no thanks. We don't have any chemistry. <laughs> no chemistry between Sun and me. So, if you throw a ball to someone and they think, it's, for them it's a grenade, for you it's just a tennis ball, for them it's a grenade, but they can't ever tell you that, they'll just get really incomprehensibly angry at you. It's so rude to just throw things at people. It's so vile. What's the matter with you? Have some politeness. Have some civility. For God's sakes. Racist. <laughs> right. So those are the people who have a bad conscience. And your curiosity, you're putting together the wires in their head, is going to have them explode. It's going to be the end of them as they know it. Because all they know is this separation, this split, this dichotomy, this oppositional fogginess. So that's one half of the population. The other half of the population is people who've had great evil done unto them who are still bonded with their abusers and can't and haven't, or at least haven't yet, processed the pain and the horror and the anger of the evil that was done to them. And this is a little more in line with the people who I've called with. I've got 16 years worth of samples, thousands of people and so on. It's, you know, many thousands of hours of conversation, right? So it's a pretty good, pretty good data set. It's not totally objective because it's somewhat self-selecting, but it's a pretty good data set. And so if you've done great wrong to someone, the only way they'll be able to get free of you is if they emotionally process the harm that, was, that you did to them. But if they emotionally process the harm that you did to them, they'll get angry at you. They might confront you. They might get you involved in the criminal justice system if it's relatively recent and illegal. Or they might leave you. They might flee. And so when we've had harm done to us, the people who've harmed us program us to suppress those feelings so they can continue, continue to exploit us. So half the population have done shitty things. The other half of the population has had shitty things inflicted on them, and neither of them really wants to know the truth. So why are some people open-minded and not judgmental? And the only thing they get angry is judgment. It's because they're terrified of judging themselves for being evil, and they're terrified of the people they're exploiting judging them as evil too. So they've just got to attack anyone and everyone who comes up with any rational standards and objective moral standards. Uh, you are the great enemy. It took me a long time to sort this one out. So I hope this is pretty bloody hard-won wisdom, and I hope that you will look at it and really, really, really understand it. Very, very important. If the vaccinated can still catch and spread COVID, then what's the rationale for blaming the unvaccinated? Oh, there was an argument for this. I can't remember what it was. Um, so, uh, you know, there may, be, there may be a good argument for it, right? But I, I, I think that people think that the unvaccinated are catching and spreading the virus. And also, of course, oh, I know what the argument is. So the argument is that if you're vaccinated and you get the virus, then your symptoms aren't so bad. You don't have to go to hospital. You don't infect. Uh, you, you don't consume precious and scarce healthcare resources and this, that, and the other, right? So you're okay. Right, you're not, you're immune from the effects to some degree, and therefore you're not consuming all the resources that everybody else needs, and so on. Right, so I think that's probably got something to do with it. Right. What's the deal with women in sickness? I'm dealing with my mom having worsening Munchausen syndrome. Wait, Munchausen or Munchausen by proxy? The two are not the same. So the deal with women in sickness is uh, women run the household. The household is where germs spread historically, which is why women generally tend to be obsessed with cleanliness and safety and security, and they get this particular horror when people are ill. For a couple of reasons, they will then blame themselves if they didn't keep the house clean enough and people got ill because of that. And uh, also, um, 
women generally have to take care of sick people, and therefore they had a very grave, a great interest in having people not get sick because somebody gets sick. Somebody, let's say somebody gets Lyme disease, and the woman has to like the husband gets Lyme disease. The the wife is going to have to deal with that for the next year or two, and and it's a big mess, right? Particularly if the man gets sick and he can't work, right? Historically, that meant that the family would be pretty likely to starve to death. So the uh, fear of illness and the great desire to keep people healthy and keep people safe. It's a beautiful foundational aspect of femininity. It needs to be tempered by not being united with government power through excessive voting. So anyway. All right. Boo, 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 boo. Clown mode, yeah, only if it's it. <laughs> the clown it. All right. Well, and, and where are the homeless bodies, right? I mean, if, if it's so contagious and deadly, then, you know, people in these homeless encampments, the ones I, um, oh, did I put this up? I think I just put this up today, freedomain.locals.com. You can have a look at uh, my documentary on California. Uh, yeah, I did a three and a half hour documentary uh, examining everything to do with the fall of California. It's really good. And uh, I would recommend it enormously and massively. And what have we got here? Jeez, I didn't even get to what's going on with Bitcoin yet, did I? I did not. Uh, did it go? Oh, yeah, you should also check out my thing. My thing, man. How much time do you spend in fictional universes? Very, very important. That's also at freedomain.locals.com. If it's not there now, it will be very shortly, which is um, oh, it's probably just uh, processing at the moment. Also, there's a bonus at the moment. Uh, there's a bonus at the moment. Uh, you get 12 months for the price of 10 if you uh, if you sign up, which I would again very much appreciate. But um, oh, did I get lost here? Yeah. So I went to visit all these homeless encampments, talked to, to the mayor of Skid Row about what was going on there, and uh, yeah, where are all the um, where are all the homeless people dropping dead of COVID? It's a good question. All right. Uh, Steph, what are your thoughts on younger women only wanting high-value men making 100000 plus? How will this affect young men wanting families? Um, oh, man. Well, I mean, a study came out relatively recently about women. And women who've had negative dating experiences, you would ex expect them as they move forward in time to stop having those negative dating experiences in the same way you would expect a kid who touches fire to stop touching fire because it hurts. Uh, it doesn't happen. Uh, women just continue to date fools, losers, bad boys, violent guys, drug addicts, alcoholics, tattoo artists, like you name it, right? So things have just become so distorted that negative experiences over the course of dating life do not seem to change women's behavior at all. And uh, this is uh, really, it's terrible. It's terrible stuff. So things have just become so weird and distorted. So, of course, the way it's supposed to work historically is pretty simple. A woman in the full flush and power of her youth and beauty is supposed to choose a guy, and then her youth and beauty get somewhat erased by having kids. And then she's off the market, and her there's a reason why um, nature makes women less attractive after they have kids. It helps make the family more stable because you've already pair-bonded with your wife, and you, don't, you love her for 
her fertility and being a great mom and not just her youth and hotness and so on. And so the youthful, full flood of beauty attractiveness thing that, you know, drives men crazy and has men throw resources at women, that's only supposed to last for a year or two max, like 18 to 19, 18 to 20, 18 to 21 or whatever, right? And then you settle down, get in the business of having babies and all that. I mean, evolutionarily speaking, right? And so what's happened now, of course, and, and then you're supposed to find satisfaction in something other than male attention, right? You're supposed to find satisfaction in your panda-bonded relationship and the growth of your children and the happiness of your household and, you know, taking care of elderly relatives and all that. That's in charity in the community and right, having a community for that matter. You take women out of the workforce, you destroy communities in the environment. That plus, of course, mass immigration. But so women are supposed to have this like very short window of maximum attractiveness. They're supposed to get snapped up and then get into the business of having babies and losing their looks. Whereas now we've got women from the age of like 18 to 40. They're just like milking this, this fallen over cow of ultimate attractiveness. And because women get such a high from male attention, they won't settle on a guy, right? So the way it used to work, of course, is that the best men would get married in their late teens, early 20s, right? Maybe, maybe wait till 25 if it was like a lot of schooling or something. So the best men get married. And so if the woman doesn't choose a good man, then the good men will all be gone by the time she wants to settle down in her late 20s or whatever, right? So it's really supposed to be a short window, right? But now what's happening is women are milking this for like 20 plus years, you know, getting male attention from various social media apps and they go and post stuff online and they, was this woman, um, uh, I think she was Chinese or Japanese or Asian or something like that. And she had an Instagram channel. They call them influencers because semi-strippers apparently is not, not in vogue. And she would take these pictures of herself dangling from cliffs and, and on tight ropes and stuff like that. And she was trying to take a selfie of herself next to a waterfall. She fell 16 feet and died. Just dead. Boom. Wiped out. She was 31 years old. Beautiful woman. Great figure. Dead. Dead. And of course, she was addicted, I assume, to, and I have sympathy to the family and so on, but y'all got to talk some sense to these women, right? So she's taking these selfies because she posts herself, oh, you're so beautiful, oh, you're so hot, and the thirst, and the thirst, and women get high on that stuff, like it's a real high, but it burns them out. It's like heroin, you know, it's a lot of dopamine, but you're not supposed to have that much, right, as far as I understand, oh, endorphins or whatever it is, right? So you're not supposed to have that much male attention, like it's not good for you, it's, it, it, it burns you out. Because then what happens is, and I've talked to women about this, and there have been studies on this as well, what happens is, of course, the women are just jumping from male attention to male attention. Oh, I got another ping on, on like someone swiped left on, on whatever it was, right? And so they, they keep jumping from male attention to male attention, and they just can't settle down because they become addicted to new male attention. Men do this with pornography and, and new sexual fantasies or whatever it is, right? So you can't settle down. You can't just pair bond. So the women are jumping from male attention to male attention, and they then become addicted to male attention, which means that they can't settle down. They settle down with one guy, and they're so hyped up that it's like, you know, you and I get endorphins from looking at a calm sunset and 
geese flying across the sun and the moon way overhead and the rustle of the trees and the whatever, the flash and flicker of the fireflies is, ah, beautiful endorphins, right? But if you've been spending 10 years jumping from male attention to male attention to male attention, you just get bored and restless and you like reach for your phone. Oh, did anyone else like the picture of my ass I posted <laughs> in the tight pants, right? And so women burning out their pair bonding capacity by constantly chasing male attention, which they're not designed to do for very long at all. For very long at all. And they end up then in relatively chronic pain from a lack of male attention or from an attention from only one guy. And uh, it's really, really, really unhealthy. But again, what does it mean to say it's unhealthy? How many people will change? Probably not that many. So, yeah, so of course they want high-value men making 100,000 who are tall and this and that and the other because th th there's almost no better way to kill a culture than to teach women to never settle. Always look for more. Look for the very best guy that you can possibly get. Look for the, the best guy, the, the, the 50 shades of gray guy. Let him beat you if he's got a helicopter. The, the Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice. Like You just look for that top guy, the guy who's got the best estate, who's the tallest, the most handsome, the everything, right? The guy with the most choices. Never settle. Never look for anything average go for the best you go for it girl you number one and you, you you appeal to this vanity and you have women aim way too high way too high and then they will never be satisfied with the guy on their level right most people are average average looks average intelligence average height average figure average body fat average income most people are average and they should be looking for averages of course the five should be looking for the five and i don't just mean looks like the whole package right but if you say to the five, never settle, and you constantly parade. <laughs> okay, I think this is, I just struck me, this is probably a little personal, and I don't mind opening the doors to my historical heart. So, <laughs> I remember dating this woman. Uh, what was she? Gosh. Nine years older than me. And very, very, very attractive woman and she was smart and and good-natured and funny and and all that hadn't achieved as much as i thought she should have in life given her attributes but anyway um she she did go out with me but she it was really hard to get her to commit right to, to sort of really not i don't mean like like we were going out and it was monogamous and all of that but just you know you know when someone's in and someone's got those cocktail eyes they're just sort of looking around and, and looking for someone else better to date or whatever so i was dating this woman and I remember saying to her, I said, you know, you seem kind of distracted a lot of times that we're like, and this is long before cell phones and all of that. And I said, like, you know, is there something that I'm not bringing to the table or something else that you want? Because if it's not going to be me, you know, just let me know. And, you know, we'll part as friends and all that. It's not the end of the world. But and she's like, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot that's great about you. You know, I mean, you're smart, you're attractive, you're successful, um, tall. And, you know, but. But I have a particular type of guy in mind, and you're just not quite that template. And I said, oh, I'm not going to take it personally that I'm not your template, but what are, you, what are you talking about? And she said, all right, hang on, hang on. So she went, um, I think we were eating dinner. She went next door to a convenience store, and she came back, and she, she put down this magazine, and she opened it up, and there was David Beckham. <laughs> 
Now, David Beckham is an uber-wealthy, uber-tall, uber-handsome soccer player, a football player from England, right? He's married to Victoria Beckham, Posh Spice. He's got like five kids or whatever, right? And he's a, he's a very good-looking guy, right? He's got those steely eyes, got that swept hair, he's got a lot of tats and all that kind of stuff, right? I don't like the tats, but, you know, he's, he's a, you know, slender, beautiful, super wealthy guy. And he's literally like one in a hundred million guys. Like one in a hundred million guys is, is like David Beckham, right? And, you know, more power to him. No, no problem, no ill effects or anything. I wouldn't want to be the guy, but I prefer philosophy to kicking a ball and calling myself enlightened. But anyway, so I was like, okay, so, so you're, you're pushing 40. You work in a fairly low rentish kind of job and and your type is David Beckham I said not only do I not think I can compete I don't really want to because you know I hate to be the bubble bursting guy I hate to be that bubble bursting guy but you're never going to meet David Beckham neither are you going to meet anyone like him neither am I I don't hang in the circles with Posh Spice and David Beckham and Elton John and who I don't I don't move in these circles. I don't have their phone numbers. <laughs> like I can't let's meet for brunch. I don't know these people. I mean I live in the same city as Geddy Lee. Am I ever gonna meet him? Nope. I might hear him a little bit when I put on my mosquito blocker, because it's got a high whine like his singing, but I'm like are you holding out for, for for David Beckham or someone like him? She's like, hey, you know, I just, I don't want to burst a bubble either. I just, I don't want to settle. I said, okay. If, if you've got David Beckham, like you're in your late 40s, late 30s, you're almost out of fertility. If you've got David Beckham as your template, you'll never be happy with me. Like, you'll never be happy with me. Because I said, it's, it's like, it's, you know, it's like a guy saying, you know, Kate Upton is my ideal, right? You know, with these impossibly slender waists, these huge boobs, the, you know, beautiful face and so on, right? It's like, okay, you can have that, I suppose, as your ideal. But it just means that you're going to be single for the rest of your life. You're never going to settle down. You're never going to have kids. You're never going to be happy in your relationship. Am I the best looking guy on the planet? No, <laughs> absolutely not. I'm a pretty good looking. Yeah, I think so. I think I'm one of the best conversationalists in the planet. Probably why you're here, right? But I just remember, like, I don't know what to say to people that outside of reality. Like that they think that they're going to meet someone like David Beckham and they're holding up their nose and they're willing to tread water with you until David Beckham comes along. You know, like like, uh, like you're some half-submerged life raft that they're willing to climb into because it's better than the ocean, but they're still waiting for the QE2 to come by and hoist them up and put them in the plaza suite or something like that. And it's like, you know, it's like, good luck, man. I mean, good luck, honestly. I mean, if, if you end up as David Beckham's new wife, I'd be completely thrilled for you and, and I'll like Hosannas, right? Good, good for you. It was worth holding out, but it's not going to happen. You're not going to meet these guys. And here's the thing too, like if, if you met David Beckham or someone like him or someone, that, that guy could have anyone. Is he going to choose you? Right? A 39-year-old or whatever. Like, I don't know. Because, you know, there is all this, you know, you got to have high standards and I get all of that, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. Like, what do you say? So if you want to kill a culture, just tell women never to settle, never to be realistic about their options and possibilities. And of course, we've got this you go girl and empowerment and women can't ever be criticized about anything for any reason at any time under any circumstances. Women can never be criticized. And so, look, you it's great to aim high. You know, it's great to aim. You aim as high as you can and then you adjust your expectations based upon what you can achieve. It's kind of like trying to get a job. If you want a job for a million dollars, sure. Yeah, okay, let's... Let, are you going to get a job for a million dollars? Nope, <laughs> neither am I. So you adjust your expectations until you get. You know, you, it's not, no point, no problem aiming high. You know, when I was, when I was um, 13, I asked out the most popular girl in school, like the real top of the top queen bee, right? Did she go out with me? She did not. <laughs> when I was taking yoga, I would ask out the yoga hotties. Okay, one of them went out with me. And two of them didn't. Okay, so I got you just adjust your expectations. You adjust what you can get so that you make sure you get it. But keeping women aiming high and, and anyone but David Beckham or someone like him is too much of a compromise. It's a way of depopulating the planet, frankly, because you're just never going to settle down. And she never did. She's probably still like, what is she now? God. Um, she's in her she's what, mid, mid-60s now almost, right? She's in her mid-60s, probably still waiting for the... Ping from David Beckham. <laughs> I don't know. Something like that. So. All right. Um, skydiving was dangerous back then. Uh, it was a little exciting. It was a little exciting. Fauci kept saying, I resent your statement. You don't know what you're talking about. Eh, it's not an argument. That's what he needs. The art of the argument. The art of the argument.com. Fauci looks like the bad guy in Raiders of Lost Ark. You mean the guy whose face melted? Yeah, I guess so, right? Uh, let's see here. Oh my gosh, am I behind? Sorry, lots of lots of chatties here. Is it available in ebook format? Rationalist Manifesto. Yes. Oh no, Rationalist Manifesto. No. <laughs> Out of the argument. Yes. All right. What is your opinion about the Kaczynski Manifesto? You mean Ted Kaczynski's? I've never read it. I've never read it. Let's see here. Uh, what do we got here? Oh, I am way behind here. Um, hit me with a Y if you want me to tell you what's going on with Bitcoin. Because, you know, it's been boring for months now, right? I mean, in that it's, in Canadian, it's like high 30s, low 40s, cucking around there, right? Hit me with a Y. That's right, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to skip a bunch of questions. Uh, but yeah, hit me with a Y. If you would like to uh, tell me, I'd like me to tell you what's going on with Bitcoin. I actually have a, Bit of an inside, inside scoop on this. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll do Bitcoin and then we'll do Jeff Bezos and then we'll call it a night. Thanks. Uh, and you know what? Um, maybe this Friday I'll set it up so that you all can call in um, and we'll do it that way or oh, whatever. Okay. So the short answer as to what's going on with Bitcoin is I don't know. Right. So 
I'm, I'm always going to put that up front because I don't know and nobody can predict future prices even based upon relevant past behavior or anything like that. But I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's going on. And I'll tell you why I know what's going on. With the caveat that I don't know. But I know. All right. <laughs> so I know. It's a paradox. So paradox, there's two of them. Well, well, well. Three holes in the ground. So when I, my first programming job was at a stock trading company in a very big and professional stock trading company. And I wrote programs to trade stocks. So I know the inside of a lot of this kind of stuff and how it works. And the vast majority of trades in this world are computer automated. There's no human involvement. You just set up sniffing for various things to, to drive prices up or down or keep them stable. Or keep them stable. So Bitcoin went from like, I'm do this in Canadian. It went up 10x, right? Went from 8K to 80K in a couple of months. So that got the attention of big investors. Big, meaty, ball-bouncing, basketball, testicle investors, right? Investment, you know, NFTs, investment companies, big, big-ass investors, right? So the big-ass investors are managing a whole lot of assets. Now, a lot of those assets are boomer retirement funds. Now, boomer retirement funds, I don't know if you've ever done any investment, but what happens is your investment advisor, if they're good, will sit you down and say, and they usually have like three levels or three layers or whatever it is, right? And they say, okay, so you can have more volatile investments, could have more upside. They also have more downside. You can have medium investments with some upside, some downside, or you can have very conservative investments, not much upside, not much downside, right? So you got these three layers, right? Uh, what should we call them? We'll call them high, medium, and low, right? For upside, downside, high, medium, and low. Now, when you're a young guy, you're probably more into the high risk, high reward because you've got time to play. You've got a bunch of future income to make and you can make some money, you can lose some money, and you're going to float upwards over time, right? When you get into your middle age, you want to start protecting your assets a little bit more. It gets a little bit more stressful because you have fewer future years of earning capacity ahead of you. So you kind of want to tinker it down to the medium risk thing. And then when you are close to retirement or you have retired, you don't have any future income coming in. So you've got to go, usually, if you've got enough assets, you'll go for low volatility and, you know, this kind of bonds and GICs and that kind of stuff, right? So you'll go low volatility. Now, when Bitcoin went 10x, it got the attention of big investors. And they're like, oh, okay, well, uh, that's cool. So the vast majority, again, I don't know the numbers. It's just my hypothesis, right? So the vast majority of people who've got a lot of investment holdings, who manage investments uh, for a lot of people, have very conservative investment portfolios. Now, I don't know any of the laws, I don't know any of the regulations, because they're also different in different places, but my understanding is that if you say, um, let's say, take an extreme example, you're a boomer who's 70, and you've got a check mark on your investment portfolio which says, I only want super conservative investments. I don't want big upside. I'm willing to give up big upside in order to avoid big downside. And now let's say the investment advisor takes half your portfolio and puts it in Bitcoin. And then Bitcoin, well, it went from 80 to 40, right? So it goes down by 50%. So you've just lost 25% of the value of your portfolio because half of it went into Bitcoin. Bitcoin value fell by half, right? So 25% down. You can go and complain and you can get legal action going because you said, hey, man, conservative. Conservative, you put me in Bitcoin, that's not conservative. Give me my money back, right? And you can cause a lot of stink, a lot of problems. So I don't know the math or the metrics by which a 
an investment is characterized as either high, medium, or low volatility, right? Like clearly if it's, you know, some penny stock that's squirreling all over the place, that's high. If it's a GIC, that's low or whatever it is, right? So there, but there are metrics. There are metrics by which you can decide whether an investment is high, medium, or low in terms of volatility, right? So when the big investment houses get into Bitcoin, they know it's a very high volatility asset. So what they want to do is they need to get it into the medium at least because so many of their customers won't accept high volatility. They need to at least drag it down into the medium. And if they can get it into low volatility, so much the better. So what they do is they get into Bitcoin and they start setting up all of their automated programs. If it dips, buy. If it goes up, sell. And that way they've got enough money invested in Bitcoin that they can keep it even. And I believe, I believe, I don't know, I don't know. Don't take any investment advice from me. I'm not telling you what to do with anything to do with your money. This is just my hypothesis based upon some fairly considerable experience in the field that this is what's going on. So they need to calm the volatility of Bitcoin so that they can push it out to the medium and the low-risk clients. Now, the low-risk clients, probably quite a way, they can get to the medium risk, that's something, right? Or at least they can make a pitch. So they have to grind through any proposed investment through, I assume, algorithms, which say, okay, the price has to be stable within 15% over, say, six months. Then we can consider it a lower risk investment situation, right? Because they can't sell much to the high-risk clients because the high-risk clients, they're probably already doing their own Bitcoin thing, so there's not much for them to sell. They need to be able to sell Bitcoins or Bitcoin-derived value to medium and low, and particularly to the low volatility customers. So what they need to do is they need to smooth the living crap out of Bitcoin volatility. And I think that's what's been going on for the last little while. Now, as to what's going to go on in the future, again, I don't know. <laughs> don't do anything based upon what I'm saying. This is just a general hypothesis. I'm no proof for it. It's just my thought. But my belief is that they're going to keep it stable, and then, for how long? I don't know. Six months, 12 months, they're going to keep it stable. And then they're going to start pushing the price down. And then what they can do, and they're going to jam it down, they're going to ease it down. They're going to adjust their algorithms so that it's like 51.49 to sell when it's high versus buy when it's low. So the price starts bumping down a little, right? And it's going to take a little while to bump down because, again, they don't want volatility. If they've got volatility, they can't sell it to most of their clients. So they're going to ease it down, right? And then what they're going to do is they're going to say to their clients, let's say that they ease Bitcoin from 40 to 36, right? And then they can say, hey, Bitcoin is like 10% undervalued historically. Historically, the price has been this. Now it's down 10%, so we recommend to buy. And they can do it within the parameters of stability because they've got historical price stability for however long they've kept it in that price stability matrix. They've got historical price stability. They're going to ease it down, and then it's going to go up because nobody minds volatility when it's on the upside. So that's my particular thought about it. No proof, don't do anything, not advice. <laughs> you get all of that, right? So that, I believe, is what's... Uh, yeah, Elon Musk is now going back on, on Bitcoin, right? So, uh, right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the Elon Musk thing and the Jeff Bezos thing, right? So... Do you ever have this when you were a kid? Do you ever have this where 
you come into school and you got some gum, right? You got some gum and you're chewing the gum and the teacher says, hey, hey, are you chewing gum? Yeah. Did you bring enough for everybody? If not, go spit it out. And it's always a female teacher every single time. It was a female teacher. And I've gone over all of this, that women are obsessed with equality because women raise kids, right? So if you're a younger sibling, think of this historically, right? Half of kids died before the age of five. So if you've got a six-year-old and you've got a two-year-old, the parents are going to invest way more resources in the six-year-old because he's passed the worst mortality window, mortality window so he's probably going to live, right? The, the two or three-year-old, much more risky. So the two or three-year-old has to fight like hell and complain like hell if they don't get equal resources or at least roughly equal resources. And if you're a younger sibling, you know exactly what what this is like. So women are constantly managing complaints about inequality, and the only way to keep peace in the household is to make sure everything's equal. So women have a natural tendency when united with the power of the state to move towards redistributionist socialism because they get very anxious with inequality because inequality means trouble at home and possibly the death of the youngest kid because resources were short. And, you know, if you've ever seen the piglets trying to burrow in through and kick each other aside to get at the mom's the sow's uh, nipples to, for the milk, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're a younger sibling, you know that you have to be a scrappy as shit to get resources in the family because the older kid's going to gravitate more towards the resources, get more of the resources, whether that's money, time, attention, food, whatever it is, right? Shelter. So women feel anxious when there's inequality because it threatens the peace and survivability of their offspring. And so women generally tend towards more equality of, of outcome, whereas the guys are like, you know, fight and compete and contest and, and all of that. That's what we do, right? So men are generally drawn towards more free market meritocracy, women more towards state enforced socialism. Or to put it another way, the beautiful aspect of women that keeps us all alive, which is making sure the kids get equal portions, is corrupted by state power, just as a man's desire to win is corrupted by state power to become coercive dominance through through statism. So here's the thing. What you see on social media with regards to, let's just talk about Elon Musk taking what he do 10 minutes in space or something like that. And you see all of these things like, oh, wouldn't you love to be the, per it's the perfect divorce thing. You get $50 billion and your ex-husband literally leaves the planet. Or, you know, when Jeff Bezos gets back, let's pretend that nobody knows him. Let's all pretend we don't know him. Or, whatever, right? And or they make fun of the fact that his rocket tends to be somewhat penis shaped or whatever, right? Or you get this Bernie Sanders stuff, which you see all over social media, which is like, you know, when we have a bunch of multi-billionaires all trying to get into space to show how big their penises are, when we have literally hundreds of millions of homeless and poor and starving people in this world, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the system where some people can afford to go to space and other people can't afford food, right? All of a sudden, if you don't have enough gum for everyone, you can't enjoy any gum yourself. To which I can just say, fuck right off. Seriously. Seriously. Fuck right off. We're allowed to have dreams. We're allowed to be successful. We're allowed to shoot for the stars. And the fact that you all aren't doing it or can't do it or won't do it or too lazy or too indifferent or too limited or who knows what, Sorry. The fact that some people can't sing doesn't mean we can't have beautiful music. The some fact that some people won't bother learning how to play piano doesn't mean I can't listen to a great concert piano. Pianist. The fact that some people are too lazy to refine their screenplay doesn't mean I can't watch a great movie. The fact that some people never finish their damn novel doesn't mean I can't read a great novel. The fact that some people 
are losers, whether it's accidental or choice or biology or genetics. The fact that some people are losers in life doesn't mean that the rest of us can't shoot or aim high. The fact that some people are bad at debating doesn't mean I can't be a good debater. The fact that some people suck, and most people suck at philosophy except for you, my lovely crew, doesn't mean that I can't be great at philosophy. Tell you what, world, I'll make you a fucking deal. I will aim as high as I goddamn well want to, and you can live with it or fuck off. How's that? How's that for a deal? I aim as high as I bloody well want to, and if you don't like it, you can fuck off. You can aim higher if you want. You can beat the pants off me with regards to philosophy. You can become more eloquent, more enjoyable, more witty, more rhetorically gifted. You can just be the orator of the gods, and you can outcompete the living shit out of me. You can aim higher than me. I've got no problem with that. And if you beat me, fantastic. That means philosophy gets even more adherence. It gets even more spread in the world. But that's the deal. That's the deal. If I work hard and I can afford a piece of gum and you don't want to work, you don't get my gum. Hey, I may choose to give it to you if I'm feeling in a generous mood and I pity you or take care and want to take care. Totally fine. But how about we let people make a shit ton of money and shoot for the stars so that we have something to look up to, so we have something to aspire to, so we have some greatness that hangs literally in the sky, burning like hell's own heart on for us to admire so that we've got something to look up to rather than this looking down and saying, oh yeah, there's some poor guy with sores and a heroin addiction who's lying half dead in a gutter and we can't have anything nice because he's sad and his life didn't work out so you can't ever be happy, you can't ever aspire, you can't ever do well, you can't ever look up. You know, we didn't get out of the fucking caves so that we could just go back in and hang around the people who won't get out. We got out of the cave so we could see the stars, so we could shoot for the stars, so we could aim as high as our talents and ambitions and grandiosity could ever manifest to be real. If just, if just, is Jeff Bezos a perfect guy? No, he's not a perfect guy. He's, he's a guy who's trying to make his money in a woke culture of oppressive government hyper-regulation. Is he an incredibly skilled businessman? Yes, he is. Is he a good husband? He is not. <laughs> so give him his spaceship because... He lost his wife or drove his wife away. Oh, I don't know what he had, an affair or something like that, right? So just this idea, oh my God, somebody's doing better. Somebody's aiming higher. Somebody's doing something magnificent. And we have to pull everyone's eyes away from that inspiring vision of someone doing something powerful and magnificent and enormous. And we have to remember to return everyone's eyes to the gutters where the sad, pathetic, broken losers of humanity, through their fault, through no fault of their own, doesn't really matter. But we can't ever look up because there are people down there who are sad and broken and unhappy. And we can't ever tear our eyes away from the sad and broken, unhappy people. We can't ever enjoy and dream and be huge and be powerful and be magnificent. Can't ever do it, man. Sad, broken losers in the world. You can't ever be happy. Now, it's probably not everyone, but it was either women or soy boys who posted all of this stuff. And it comes straight back to this. Well, there's inequality. I feel anxious because I'm a female or womanish, <laughs> right? Yeah, very sad. Very sad. You know, Jeff Bezos, you magnificent bastard. Good for you. Listen, I don't like some of the decisions you make in your company. I don't like them at all, but I'm not a guy who has to try and survive in a hysterical, hyper-woke culture with half-socialist employees uh, who faint at the sight of uh, the free market. I don't have to live with that. I, I'm an entire company of one person, so uh, I have diversity with split personalities. That's all I've got, right? Multiracial second Steph uh, showing up for duty, right? So 
I don't, I don't have to deal with what this guy, I don't have to deal with hyperregulation, being hauled in front of Congress, having to justify things, having the government breathing down my neck, threatening order. I don't have to deal with all of this shit. So the fact that he makes what I think are some pretty bad decisions when it comes to woke shit within his culture, I don't care. I don't care. I'm, I'm from a lofty position of a singularity of one. It's easy for me to cast dispersions when having, I don't have to deal with all the shit that the other people in the business world have to deal with. So go for it, man. Uh, if go in peace, go up and, and, you know, but I want to, I, you know, I want to wake up and look at the ass end of a flaming rocket, like a couple of times, because you know what's really great? You know what's really great? Those rich bastards who go off into space, they're driving down the price of everyone else getting to go. You think you're going to get to go into space? And I do want to go into space. Do you think you're ever going to get to go into space if some rich asshole doesn't get there first? You think there's ever going to be a cell phone unless some rich asshole is going to pay 10,000 bucks for a Kleenex size box of circuitry that you get radiation burns from and can't stand under a tree if you want to make a phone call. You know, a friend of mine had an uncle who was super rich. And I remember the very first time he called me and he said, you'll never guess where I am. I said, I don't know. What are you doing outside with the phone? He's like, dude, I'm in a car. And I was like, what? A car, and you, you imagine this long cable from, <laughs> from a box of the car. It's like, you wait for him to get the cable to run out, and he's going to be jerked back like uh, uh, that woman from my big fat Greek wedding. Or Jared playing Goose Goose Duck. So he called me from a car. Blew my mind. First time I got online with my cozy 300-board modem and a 386SX computer from esteemed... Hardware seller Mighty Max in Toronto. Back when I paid 1200 bucks for a computer with one meg of RAM. <laughs> one meg of RAM and a 60 meg hard drive. You, you're never going to get the cool stuff unless the rich people have it first. Because they are proof of concept and they open up the market. They say slow the shit out of that thing. And then it trickles down to where you and I are. Beautiful. They are the icebreakers that create the passage, that create the cruise liners that get us to Alaska. There's no other way to do it. So the fact that Jess Bezos is showing his flaming ass in his giant cock of a rocket ship, fantastic, beautiful. Flame that ass, baby. Jeff, flame that ass. Let me shower down. You, you, can, you can have used dollar bills to fuel. The, you could set fire to dollar bills and Weimar-style jet that thing to the stratosphere. I'm perfectly content and happy, man. Do it! Show me your flaming giant cock rocket ass. That's what I want to see because that's how we get people like you and me up into space over time. And I don't want to die before I get to see a curve. I don't want to die before I get to see a curve because, you know, I'm still haunted by that debate from many years ago that was one of my most popular videos, me versus the flat earth guy. Flame that ass, baby. Flame that ass. Nah, that's what I want to see. I I've been waiting my whole life to go to space. I was a science fiction nut when I was younger. I was very excited about going into space before I realized because the government was going there, you and I would never go there. But now, capitalist bastards are breaking the ice to get us to space. But no, we can't have any of that because there are poor people somewhere. Oh, my God. Fucking tyranny of the underclass. My God. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Can't have anything good because there are sad people. You can't be happy because there are sad people. You can't ever have a good meal because there are hungry people. You can't ever, you can't ever be tall because there are short people. You can't ever sing well because there are people who can't sing. You can't. Ah! Talk about wet fingering the bright candle of human potential. No, 
Everyone get underneath and celebrate the shit out of this. It'll do you good. Because if you get to drag down the high because you're too incompetent or stupid or lazy or unable to climb anything or to rise or to do anything, if all you do is drag down the high, you know what you do? You give a sense of power. You give a sense of power to the losers. No. The losers should feel powerless until they stop being losers. And they aim for something higher and better. And of course, it doesn't have to be being Jeff Bezos. It could be anything better. It could be getting a minimum wage job. It could be getting your own place. It could be having a date that doesn't end in an injection, right? Or maybe a hot beef injection, but not a heroin injection. You get where I'm coming from, right? So I'd never want to empower the people where the Nietzschean hideous anti-virtue of ressentiment, resentment, resentment. Ah, oh, someone's doing really well and they're going up in a spaceship. I resent that. I want that resentment to be as powerless as humanly possible. And all the people out there saying, well, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk shouldn't be aiming to space when we have hungry homeless people down here. Spoiler! You could take all the money, all the money, all the money, all the money. You could take all the money that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and, I don't know, Richard Branson spent on their space flights. You could give it and you could go down to the poor people. You could hand it all out. You could hand it all out. And you know what they would do? Waste it. For the most part waste it. You'd waste it. There's a reason when I worked up north, there's a reason why every town had the same configuration. Post office, convenience store, beer store. You go to the post office, cash your welfare check, you go to the convenience store to pick up your smokes, and then you go to the beer store to get your beer. Or they'd have a whole bunch of kids, which they then would underparent, to put it as nicely as humanly possible. Or they'd buy useless stupid shit, Ooh, look, really shiny, bright sneakers for people who aren't runners <laughs> and who don't play basketball much. No, they just waste that shit. So what would happen is we'd end up with a whole bunch of wasted money, wasted capital. Instead, we get some glorious fart explosion of glorious space climbing for something we can look up to rather than just taking it down and distributing it. You know, oh, my God, the amount of money. Oh. The money that I've given over the course of my life to people who've wasted it. There will be no excuse for wasting the dawn. The amount of money I've given over the years. I don't regret it because it bought me a lot of wisdom. But the amount of money I've given to people over the years when I've been in a slightly better position and they've needed help and they have just wasted it. Just wasted it. I used to give money to my mother. And all she did was turn around and give it to shady, shady lawyers to sue people. Nope, can't do it. I've given money to listeners. Now, <clears throat> a lot of them have gone to therapy and done the right stuff with it, but some of them yeah, just burned the money up. Just burned the money up. You give money to someone and then they post, hey, I just bought a new video card. It's like, yeah, you kind of wasted that. You were supposed to use that to get a place and a job. But hey, it happens, you know, you, you throw your seeds sometimes on fertile ground and sometimes on the stony ground of short-sighted selfishness, right? We can't have anything good because there are some people who don't have stuff. And what you're doing is you're empowering failure because now failure can pull down the bright burning skylight of human ambition and human grandeur. Now you have empowered the losers to wet finger the second sun of glorious sky-spanning human ambition. You've allowed them to pee on the roaring fires of progress, and now they feel powerful. 
Now they feel important. Now they've pulled down the high. And if you take the money from all of this stuff and you tax the shit out of these rich people, which they're already taxed quite a lot, and then you give the money to the poor, you're paying people to shit on human potential. You're paying people to take a giant, pinch off a giant deuce dump on the flaming potential of human ambition. And then what they'll do is they'll take this money and they'll go out and buy a bunch of shit that's useless and usually self-destructive, which only exists because other people decided to build convenience stores and farm tobacco and put hops, beer and failure to hops, barley and failure together and yeast to make beer. So you're rewarding them for shitting on human potential and then you're having them feed the people who profit from human failure. So it's very sad. But you see this everywhere. No, no, no. Give me give me the heights, give me the grandeur. Give me something to look up to, man. You cannot spend your entire life looking down at the squalid dune more infinite shark tooth snake hollowness of human failure. Can't get anywhere. Can't do anything because there are poor sad people out there. Am I on Locals? Why, yes, I am. Freedomain.locals.com. Freedomain.locals.com. I'm on Telegram. I don't have Twitter. It's a commie site. I haven't been on Twitter, of course, uh, gosh, over a year. Over a year. All right. We've done our two cozy hours. I hope that you're having a wonderful evening. It is now 7, 6.58 p.m. on the 22nd of July, 2021. I thank you very much for joining me. Hit me with a Y if I should only fans this up a little. Da, 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 da. I'm just kidding. No, should I have an OnlyFans site? Some people say yes. I'm not sure what the future will say. <laughs> Hit me with a Y if you think it's a good idea for me to get an OnlyFans site. We should see. It's good to hear Steph rant again. Haven't heard this dude in a couple of years. Damn, I just got here. Don't worry, I'll be uh, um, I'll be republishing this so you can get a hold of it. And also have better audio too. So I got this fancy new mic, but it won't be listened to. Uh, we've got Mostly Wise. Mostly Wise for OnlyFans. Oh, a little philosophy with nipples and some sit-ups. <laughs> we'll see. Harambe says, yes, male-only fans. Is that a thing? You can get male-only fans. We love you, Steph, but not like that. Oh, you don't even know. I haven't taken my shirt off properly in a long time. Dad, Dad's been working out, man. I've been, I've been shedding the dad bod like you wouldn't even believe, man. I'm getting kind of ripped. Hard pass. <laughs> well, the uh, hard part I, I get. I understand that. We thought you were kidding at first. <laughs> yes, of course, I will be taking donations in Come Rocket. <laughs> there we go. There we go. See, Bitcoin can't go up because there are other cryptos that are sad, other shit coins that are sad. All right, you rule Steph. No, I, I guess I rule myself, and hopefully you will get to rule yourself as well. And if you rule yourself, you cannot be conquered by any man. All right, thanks everyone so much. We've made a cozy two hours. What a great, great uh, chat. I will... Um, I think I'll slicey dicey this one up and put them out as singulars because they're a little bit unrelated and there's a lot of stuff I don't want to get buried in here, but you don't need to hear all of this afterthought stuff. Have yourselves a wonderful, delightful, glorious evening. And thank you so much for dropping by tonight. It was uh, just such an enormous pleasure to chat with you guys as it always is. 
And uh, yeah, don't forget to, it'll be Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Sorry, I missed yesterday, Friday night, 7 p.m. And I may do a weekend one coming up soon for the people in Europe. It'll probably be 11 a.m. Sunday or whatever it is. But let me know what you think. FreeDomainNFT.com for checking this out. FreeDomain.com forward slash almost to uh, make sure that you can um, uh, check out this, uh, this novel that I wrote 20 years ago. Fantastic, fantastic book. Please, please, please go start listening to it. And uh, it's kind of where I started. And uh, yeah, look out for the NFT coming up soon. Going to be a good collector's item. Lots of love from up here. FreeDomain.com forward slash donate. Love you guys. Take care. Have a good night.